Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Tiffany Joseph. Tiffany is an autistic self-advocate, a single mother of three, and the digital creator behind the Instagram account, Nigh Functioning Autism. She uses her platform to promote the changes she wants to see in the world regarding disability and intersectionality. Tiffany sometimes uses an Alternative Augmentative Communication Device, or AAC for short. Before our interview, I sent Tiffany a list of questions so she could prepare her responses in writing. The voice you'll hear for most of Tiffany's side of the conversation is her AAC reading her responses out loud. In instances when she wanted to add more to her response or answer a follow-up question I asked, you'll hear Tiffany using her mouth words. After the recording, Tiffany mentioned that her mouth words work better some days than others and that that day happened to be one that she felt comfortable answering some questions off script. In today's conversation, we discuss internalized ableism, coping with bullying, the inclusion of Asperger's diagnosis under the umbrella of autism, Aspie supremacy, finding community online, Tiffany's AAC journey, the different apps she uses depending on the situation, misconceptions about AAC, some of Tiffany's ideas to improve the education system, why she chose her Instagram account name Nigh Functioning Autism, the intersectionality of being Black and autistic, and what she thinks true inclusion should look like. In this episode, discover what's possible when capabilities are more than meets the eye. To learn more about Tiffany and her work, please visit our show notes at autismknowsnoborders.com. We appreciate your time. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support our mission, please take just a few seconds to share it with one person who you think will find value in it too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Autism Podcast, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Global Autism Project, and join our online community on Mighty Networks at community.globalautismproject.org. And now I present you, Tiffany Joseph. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thanks for being here today. Thank you. Could you please briefly introduce yourself? I am Tiffany, and I am the creator from Knife Functioning Autism. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. I am a single mother to three neurodivergent children, two teens, and a preteen. I was first diagnosed on the autism spectrum at age 19. It was actually called Asperger's then, and again in my 30s. I was diagnosed with autism-adjacent things as a child though like ADHD and central auditory processing disorder. Similar to my ASD diagnosis, I was also diagnosed with epilepsy and OCD late, even though I had clear signs of both as a child. I also have an autistic sibling, aunts, and cousins. I am an AAC user generally and speak around people I am comfortable with. I write and create on multiple social media platforms to share my knowledge and my experiences. So let's talk about your autism. What was it like for you to discover you had autism? The first time, I guess, at 19. 
Unfortunately, I have to admit that I had a lot of internalized ableism. I was very sad about it for years and hid it. I was ashamed and embarrassed because I had wanted to change a lot about myself or thought things would naturally get better. When I got the diagnosis and did research the second time around, everything I thought I would grow out of or improve on with the things I learned were part of me. That hurt for a long time. For example, I thought I would be able to speak more fluently one day, not shut down in emotionally exciting or sad times, or stop feeling the need to move and jump all of the time. When I learned that was a part of having the diagnosis, and it's a lifelong condition, I was upset and angry. Suffice it to say, I found a lot more pride in my identity. That happened mainly because my kids were also identified as autistic and ADHD. I didn't want to model shame nor ableism, so I just finally took my therapist's recommendation to find people like me online and through that, I found acceptance and power in sharing my particular experiences now as both a parent of Black autistic children and simultaneously a Black autistic person. Yeah, well, that's great that you've found some kind of purpose through your discovery. Did you always feel that you were different growing up? Always in capital letters. Not only did I feel different, but was constantly told I was different as well. I was called weird, told my interests were too old for my age, and too quiet. But I also had different therapies in school, so I figured out I actually was different since I was the only kid doing listening therapies and social into training. My saving grace was being hyperlexic, which led to great academics. I was praised for those particular differences, so I actually wasn't too upset until I got into middle school around age 11, where the social level was higher, and I then became bullied for my differences. Hmm. How did you cope with the bullying growing up? Um, what I did mostly was, I just felt bad. I coped by changing everything about myself that the bullies were bullying me about. So I just tried to conform to the way that I thought I should be so I wouldn't have to get bullied. Is this a fear of yours with your own children? Yeah. Hmm. Do you talk to them about it? Um, yes. They haven't had too much bullying, thankfully, but there have been some times where I don't know if I talked to them the proper way about it, but we did talk about it a few times over their childhood. Mm. Well, it's good that they have you as a model to show that there's nothing wrong with them. Yes. I do try to tell them that all the time, but I'm not sure how much parent helps in that situation because they don't want to listen to parents at that age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Well, back to your discovery of your autism. Given that you were diagnosed first with Asperger's syndrome, what did you think of that change in the DSM categorization? that eventually included Asperger's under the autism umbrella when they kind of grouped it all together. This is going to sound bad, 
because when I learned Asperger's was actually autism, I was really mad that I shared a diagnosis with people who I thought would make me seem more disabled. At the time, I didn't consider myself disabled. Both sides of my family have autism going back several generations. My dad's side had the Asperger's diagnoses. While my mom's side has the more disabled higher support needs family members. My dad's side did have more disabled family members too, like my dad's sister, who had my cousins who are both very disabled. The ableism on that side of the family is partially why I have so much internalized shame. People who couldn't work or get themselves together, so to speak, were talked about harshly and just not seen the way the lower support needs individuals were. I also judged because I was taught to in getting the autism diagnosis and realizing that I am actually disabled by autism was not only eye-opening, but helped me stop judging my family and myself. And having non-speaking friends who could communicate previous to the diagnosis also helped a lot because they talked to me in a way that was understanding of my feelings and educated me about why I was feeling that way. That actually made the most difference along with therapy in turning around my shame. Hmm. There's also some people who really, like, they were kind of upset with that change in the categorization because they lost their Asperger's identity. Like, they had a community of people who were diagnosed with Asperger's, and they felt kind of like that was taken away from them when everything was grouped together. Could you relate to any of that? Not at all. I think that's kind of a, I don't know how to say this word, like segregationists or hmm. separationists mentality. It's kind of um, what we say is ASPE supremacy, where people who do have that diagnosis think they are better than other people. And I hate to admit that I was a part of that group at first. But like I said, I have non-speaking friends who I was talking to several times a day. And I felt more a part of them once I got the autism diagnosis. Even though I had the internalized ableism, I didn't see myself as that different because I have friends who could communicate to me that we actually were more alike than different. When we are talking online, we are just all autistic. You can't tell what somebody's behaviors or support needs are online. So when you're not having to like compare each other's like support needs and speech and, and stemming movements and stuff. We see that we're more alike than non-disabled neurotypical people. Like we have a lot more in common. Mm -hmm. Generally when you're together in real life, you can see the differences in support needs, right? Mm -hmm. You can, see the differences in body control and speech. But online, there's no difference. 
It's just, I can't tell. Um, some of my friends live in facilities. They have 24-7 support, but they can communicate online. So I don't know that. We don't know when each other is, you know, getting AIDS, getting care taken. We can't tell any of that from online. So we are actually more alike in that vein. I feel that anybody who who still feels that way, maybe not at first, but who still feels that way, is just wanting to see themselves as better than other people. Okay, got it. Yeah, I could see how that has also helped the community grow stronger online. Like you see more support groups, more friendships being made with people that you might not ever really come across because of that ability through technology. Yes, exactly. One of my best friends, um, he has since passed, but he was a non-speaking autistic person and he could communicate fluently. So there's no way we would have met beforehand, but because he can communicate online, we were able to compare our autism, which was very similar. Whereas, you know, like non-disabled or like neurotypical people, you know, they wouldn't have the same things to relate to. But in, in real life, they would compare our, our behaviors. Whereas in online, they wouldn't be able to compare nor see the difference. Okay, Tiffany, so tell us about your AAC journey. So, I grew up speaking what seemed to be early and had great pronunciation and enunciation. What they didn't realize at the time was that speaking in and of itself isn't necessarily communication. So, I technically spoke early or on time, but my speech was 100% echolalia and scripting for many years. I also could read early and recite letters and sight words, but that was all memorization and there was very little novel or spontaneous flow of thoughts through my speech. It actually took me feeling so bad and feeling like a failure so long that I opened my eyes to what was actually right in front of me. I have non-speaking friends that use AAC speech generation devices as their only form of full communication. I had known about AAC and Letterboard for years. I just never put two and two together that people with fluctuating speech could use anything other than speech. I knew about sign languages and picture card, and I knew about suffering until my speech worked again. I never thought about using non-speech ways until a podcaster years ago had asked me to be on her podcast and I said, well, whenever I'm in town, sure. She told me we could do it by phone, and I instantly said no. I didn't use the phone. I didn't answer nor made calls. Didn't matter whether it was for my kids' schools or home repairs. Everyone that didn't email or text me never got a response. Honestly, it was ruining my life and many relationships. It put my housing at risk more than a few times. But all of the sensory issues I mentioned earlier that affect my speech all hit me together on the phone. 
But in that moment of telling her no, I felt bad. Bad enough, it made me look for non-speech options to use for that particular podcast. From here and considering the terrible toll not speaking on the phone has been on my adult life, I asked some of my friends who were already full-time AAC users for help. Ever since, I have been able to make doctor's appointments, do podcast interviews, etc. I was constantly saying no to people who needed to talk, and now I don't have to. From using it for that reason, I thought, why not all phone calls? I can finally make and receive phone calls. Or in person. Now, I don't feel like I have to stay away from people, ever afraid they will talk to me when I am not ready, and I will say something insulting or weird. Many times, just having AAC handy makes me comfortable enough that my mouth words work more than they did before. And even the thought of writing something on AAC helps the factory of word making keep words coming in time. What changed for my speech was learning to write or put the letters and words together to form my own sentences. That somehow opened up a channel for communication entirely. Which is why I always say AAC would have helped me open up communication way earlier. Fast forward to my 20s and I figured out I could write things that I felt deeply. This is also when social media started, and I finally had a way to write my feelings to people I knew on a regular basis. Then, after my most recent ASD diagnosis, I was in therapy, and I still can't use my speech to talk about feelings. But my therapist suggested I write things down for our sessions, because talk therapy is pretty hard for someone who can't talk about feelings, lol. So could you describe for our listeners exactly what the device is? Because I can see from here, you said it's a tablet. Yes. So I um, I use different apps on my iPad. Really, all the devices are just like regular tablets, mostly iPads. So when they're medical devices, they're specifically made with certain features like built-in speakers, and they're limited to just the communication app. But the apps are identical to what you can purchase on the app store. And really, you're just turning your device, your iPad, into a medical device when you put a case and a speaker on there and the app. Okay. What's the app that you use? Well, I use several because they are all basically the same, but their differences, the differences they do have, actually make a difference in the situation that I need. So this particular app, I think it's free. It's free on the iPad. It's just Microsoft Word for iPad. Mm -hmm. And... You can use it on your computer as well. I have a child that is dyslexic, so at school they use it to read to them. But one day, I'm not sure, I guess that they were doing virtual learning and I was watching them read it out loud as they were typing on, on Microsoft Word. And I was like, wait a minute, that's just outputting speech from me typing. That's AAC as well. So this is Microsoft Word. It's free. You just go to view in the menu 
it'll say like home insert draw all that just go to view go to immersive reader and hit read aloud it's the same thing a lot of schools use for students who can't read themselves okay since you're typing everything in yourself just read aloud it's easy to Mm -hmm. that's great and what are the other ones that you use and for which situations I use ProloQuo for text for phone calls. It's just easier for me when it comes to using it for phone calls. And you can you can use it for FaceTime as well, as well as ProloQuo to go and touch chat. Not every app allows you to use it during FaceTime, but that is one that does. I also use TD Snap for when I... I'm losing words, including I can't even think to type them. So I need like very pointed symbols and ideas. And TD Snap for me is the best for that. If you have TD Snap, it's actually pretty, pretty easy to just download different words. Uh, how do I say this? Like groupings where uh-huh. you can't really do that on the other apps. So if you have like an, a teen or you're doing like sexual education or obviously if you're an adult, you're going to need words that are mature, like about sex and STDs and things like that. And you can for free download these groups. And for me, that's so helpful because I can't always think of words to say. So I have like a lot of groupings in there. Mm-hmm. And the groupings are just in a way that it's so natural. It's just put in a way where if you can't think of the words to say, you don't have to. And then there's cough drop which is great. I use that on, I have it on iPad, but I don't really use it. But you can use CoughDrop on any any kind of operating system. So iOS, Windows, iPad, any Android tablet. And I use it on my Android phone. Okay. Great. You have options. Yes. As you get older, a lot of my adults, AAC using friends, They also have different apps for different purposes. But I would say I use TD Snap and ProloQuo for text most. Okay. And did you get any support in navigating what you needed? Because I know that there's a, a need for adult services. I'm just wondering, like when you were diagnosed later in life, were you given some options? Yes, I will say that I live in Maryland. So I live in a state that has a lot of support for adults, maybe even more than kids who are disabled. Oh. Um, but yeah, there's, I have housing services, health insurance for my whole family. My diagnosis gives me access to case management and home therapies. 
I have access to way more occupational therapy and speech therapy than even my kids. So yeah, I have I have no limits on most any therapy at all, actually. That's great. Good for you. I know it just depends state to state. It does. I actually moved from Georgia in the South because pretty much the South is very hard to live in if you are an adult with disabilities. Mm. And we moved from my husband. He lived in um, Maryland and my parents lived in Virginia, just about an hour away from each other, even though we met and had our first son in Atlanta. And we, we moved right away because for me, it was just, it was just hard. I just had a hard time trying to be an adult Mm. without help. Yeah. Yeah. So back to AAC, what are some common misconceptions about using AAC? I think too many parents and professionals try to use their own neurotypical perception to understand their autistic loved ones or clients. But many times, that simply won't work because of misinterpretations. What is good for us may seem counterintuitive to neurotypical or non-autistic people. I have found this whole subject of speech, language, and literacy is one of those things. The way we work seems to be the opposite when it comes to speech. Speech, at least from what I have seen in autistic people, is inconsistent. That's definitely true for me. And for many of us, it isn't autism that causes it, but one of our many co-occurring conditions. For me, it's epilepsy. Before or after seizures, I either cannot speak or cannot say exactly what I want because the words just don't trickle down to my mouth. I liken my speech to a factory. My stream of thoughts are on a conveyor belt, which is headed for my mouth. So many times, I go to say my thoughts, and there is nothing available on the conveyor belt for my mouth to say, like my factory workers took a break. Other times, I have the words available, but my mouth forgets how to say the particular word or says a word that's not even there or that I was not thinking at all. Sometimes, it's the medicines we take that cause word-finding issues. Sometimes it's anxiety, which causes situational mutism. Also, the reason can change daily or over time. Whatever it is at the moment, because it is not always reliable, there need to be other ways to communicate. The parent and professional communities seem to mostly focus on total speech regression in early childhood. However, many people lose speech altogether in early teens or early adulthood as well, especially if they have epilepsy or eventually get it. So, It makes sense to always have a well-practiced form of communication, or even a few, actually. But also, we need sensory-safe ways to communicate. Sometimes sensing emotions is also overwhelming. So in cases where a speaking autistic person may find themselves in a situation that's sad, exciting, angering, extremely joyful, etc., strong emotions, like any overwhelming sense interferes with my factory's ability, like maybe inclement weather might cause interruptions in a real factory. Being able to use other ways to communicate might still be available. 
Texting in a different room is another safe way to communicate without being overwhelmed by others' emotions or feelings. Pictures might be more accessible in cases where words are failing. Giving someone a way to draw a picture might also be helpful. Sign languages are great too, and always available like the mouth, because they are a part of the body. However, due to motor skills issues, they may have to be modified. There are unlimited ways to communicate, and there's no reason that speech has to be considered the best way. People say, I don't want that device to be a crutch. That makes no sense because crutches are helpful, they help people be mobile. Other forms of communication are not holding someone back, they are helping them participate in life, much like crutches do. Also, why is it a bad thing that someone may prefer a different form of communication? What if the student feels more comfortable and able to communicate more with a device even if they speak? Why is that such a horrible thing? Maybe that person has found what I did, that I deserve to still have a voice even when it's not working. That I don't have to exhaust myself day in and day out trying to overcome all the sensory issues that mess with my speech. Or that my silent seizures, that for a long time, I wasn't even aware of, were causing me trouble communicating, that doesn't have to mean that my words are not important simply because I cannot say them. That I still have a right to be heard, and it's not some moral failure or character flaw to have trouble communicating by speech just because I can do it sometimes. And I want to add that a lot of people erroneously think that AAC, um, I already alluded to it, but AAC uh, is bad for speech development when it's actually, um, as I said before, if I had AAC earlier, I would have been able to speak earlier. So AAC helps speech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So how can teachers and parents empower their non-speaking students to communicate? I wouldn't say there is much empowering needed because humans in general need and want to communicate. Motivation is internal. What educators need to do is provide the individualized motor skills so that everyone can learn to communicate early, starting from the moment a child is identified as having a speech difference. They need to realize that everyone can be literate and deserves to. Everyone, with the proper techniques, can thus communicate. Communication and literacy are human rights. Yeah, definitely. And you're right that the motivation is intrinsic. So it's really just about setting up the environment for them. Yes. What are some of your ideas to improve the education system as a whole? The main one is teachers, therapists, and caregivers assuming too little of autistic capabilities. Instead of society asking the question of how can we provide this student the opportunity to show their capabilities, the assumption is if they just can't show it in a traditional way, that means they have no abilities. Really, all the educational barriers extend from false assumption of little brain power. We would already have the innovation and tools and strategies needed on a wide-scale basis, if not for these false assumptions. To be more particular, I need to see more education opportunities for autistic people alongside access to full communication. That means as challenging a curriculum as every other same-age peer gets. 
It also means we discover reading capabilities early and teach any gaps in reading. We have to determine if there are any disabilities related to literacy too. We also have to discover where there are strengths. We have to remember that a good portion of autistic people are hyperlexic, meaning they have early reading and simple decoding skills. It doesn't matter what the speech capability is. Right now, educators assume no speech means not able to read nor, or no ability to point to the correct words also means that. But speech and pointing are motor operations. They don't show internal capability. We need to teach the body how to perform what their mind says, and don't assume they know something or they don't something and teach anyway. We don't hold them back because we don't know if they understand. We don't test or require proving ability to move on to a more advanced topic. Communication through teaching the body how to perform what the students might say. The motto is presume competence and ability to learn, but not presume knowledge either. I always say that I wish autism was seen more as a physical disability. That is what would make people understand how much of the motor and sensory issues present in autism appear to be cognitive or behavioral problems. Physically being unable to initiate movements when we want makes it seem like we don't understand the words spoken or written. Touching the wrong answer, even if you know the answer causes students to be drilled on things, they have known for years simply because they can't get their hands to point to the correct answers. Whole education careers are based on what people can or cannot show as their understanding from toddlers to adulthood. No matter what a person knows, it's about what they can show, and that's unfair. Hmm. Right. So it's kind of up to teachers to really find ways to build on those strengths. Yes. And the, I would, the finding the ways is not really necessary because the ways are already out there. They need to be taught all the ways, but they're not being taught that because they don't believe there's a reason most to be taught that because there's still the idea that people don't know things. So they just don't realize that they can learn more. So they don't even go search out the techniques and, and methods that will get them to show what they know. Right. And then there are, are students who are left behind because they're just kind of given up on. Yes. Hmm. It's going to take a mindset shift for educators to start behaving differently. Exactly. So Tiffany, you do a lot of advocacy work through your Instagram platform, Nigh Functioning Autism. Why did you decide to go with that account name? I chose it because I like puns. And at the time, I was not functioning, like I didn't even have the appearance of being a functioning human when I started my Instagram. So, it was a play on words to sound like high-functioning while making fun of functioning labels because they are inaccurate. And people would say, I'm high-functioning based on the few things I can do, but the mental health establishment definitely told me I wasn't functioning, lol. I just wanted to explore this side of myself and my life. I had no idea it would lead to advocacy. Mm. 
And one of the topics you cover is intersectionality. What are some challenges that come with being Black and autistic? We have internalized ableism as a community due to white supremacy and capitalist ideals. So even talking about being disabled or autistic within the community can lead to being shamed, ignored. We are also never seen as autistic outside of the Black community either. Non-Black people will see us acting different and attribute that to our Blackness and what they deem as a problem with Black culture instead of disabled. This oftentimes leads to expulsion from school, which feeds the preschool to prison pipeline, but also the special education to prison pipeline. Also arrest, jail, and death from police. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's also just a lack of research specifically for this overlap of the population. Yes. It's also hard to do research within the Black community. I did research on actually a form of breast cancer that typically affects more Black people. And it's hard to recruit a lot of Black people for research because in the past, the medical and biological science establishments have abused us and harmed us physically for research purposes. So that has not left our collective consciousness. Right. There's definitely a trust issue there. Yes. People don't want to subject themselves. True. But they definitely don't want to subject their children. And then you have the part of um, because our diagnosis is uh, usually much later than white peers. So there's going to be a lack of research in small children just because we are identified much later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think it would make a difference if the researcher was Black? Yes, it does help. But it's, it still would be a lot more work than even if a Black researcher was recruiting white people. It's, it's still more work for the Black researcher, simply because as a community, and this is, this is getting better, but there's still a lot of people who don't want to be involved in any kind of scientific research. Mm-hmm. So on the flip side, what are some strengths of being Black and autistic? One strength is that our mutual marginalization has made us relate well to the non-speaking and motor-disabled autistic people of all races. Also, it's nice sometimes to have a very strong community. And since we are few, it is pretty strong. Okay. What are some ways that the two communities might misrepresent each other? There is a lot of subtle and direct racism in society, so the autism community mirrors that. A lot of what is seen as acceptable in the greater autistic community, such as criticizing families about therapies used, judging people on the basis of terms and symbols, etc., are just not seen as acceptable in the Black autistic community. So a lot of non-Black autistic people clash with others when we see advocacy done like that. 
Also, a lot of things that would possibly harm Black autistic children are being taught to Black families that we don't agree with because we know the danger that potentially places the family in. For instance, a kid with sensory issues may not shower. I have heard non-Black autistic people say that's fine, but we would get CPS called if we allowed that, so it's not feasible. Right. Yeah, there's definitely these extra challenges that you have to face. So what does true inclusion look like to you? I just accidentally erased it, so I will say what I wrote. True inclusion for me would be incorporating the principles of universal design into schools and facilities and anywhere that autistic people would go, which is everywhere. Universal design is just a set of seven principles that really dictate how society should build and create places that everybody can use no matter what their disability is or no matter what their culture is. So it's just being able to make everything accessible to everyone. So for autistic people, there would be a place to go for a sensory break or for sensory stimulation. And in the schools, it would mean everybody has an AAC device, not just disabled kids. AAC can help everybody, whether you're disabled or not. And if you are disabled, but not identified or diagnosed yet, you can't just everybody, which I think is just a part of universal design. Everybody would also know their countries or their cultures, sign languages. So if everybody in the world uses AAC, everybody in the world uses their regional or cultural sign language, that means those who can't speak or can't use sign language the same way, there would still be a way to communicate and everybody would be a modeler for it. Also, just making sure everybody is educated about disability and about other people's cultures. So inclusion would have to take into account disabilities that are unknown, even from the person, and different cultures and languages. Yeah, definitely. I think once you start to even open up and realize that there's more even just outside of the U.S., for example, then you become more accepting of people in the U.S. Exactly. And one of the things about inclusion is that there is mass exclusion going on for no reason. There's no reason every building shouldn't have ramps because everybody can go up a ramp, not just the disabled, but people who can walk can go up the ramp. So why are there stairs when not everybody can go up those? 
you could just have ramps everywhere. Everybody can go. If we all use AAC, if we all had that, if we all use sign languages, that would be very easy if we're born into that system. And there would be very few people who cannot communicate early on. There'd be very few, but we're not incorporating those into society and needlessly leaving people out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What can society do to encourage more acceptance? Education about disability in general, disability history, and autism is the key here. People judge and mistreat those they don't understand. This should be in public and private schools as requirements. 20 to 25% of the entire world is disabled. But how much do we learn about different disabilities and the fight for civil rights of the greater disability community? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think educating the youth from a young age in the schools, teaching them that difference isn't wrong. That is All right, we close with one last question. What advice would you give to other non-speaking autistic individuals? So I I wouldn't say I'm non-speaking. Maybe it's not as reliably speaking, but this will lead to two non-speaking people. Okay. Just know that if you aren't able to communicate right now, there are people who know and see you. We know that there is so much more to you than meets the eye. Know that there are people who are educating society and individuals so that you will have access to show the world your full self. Right now, they are seeing such a small part of you and assuming you aren't in there. They are assuming your body's behaviors mean that you aren't able to learn or control your own life. Social media is making a huge change in that wrong perception. And there are people right now working to change that and won't back down. Yeah. Well, thank you, Tiffany, for sharing your story with us. And I'll be sure to put a link to your social media on our show notes so that people can give you a follow. Oh, yes. I also forgot to mention that I have a YouTube. Same name. Oh, okay. Great. So we'll put that link there, too. Just... All people, not just autistic people, but all speaking autistic people and non-disabled people need to fight for communication access. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. As Tiffany mentioned, everyone deserves the chance to be taught communication and literacy. We shouldn't limit what we think a child is capable of just from what we see on the outside. If you're an AAC user, what's your experience with communication? Share your story over in our online Global Autism community. Family members and professionals are also welcome. Our Global Autism community is a safe space to hear directly from autistic individuals and learn how to become a better ally. Whatever your role related to autism is, you can join our online Global Autism community to collaborate with people from all over the world. Sign up today at community.globalautismproject.org. Let's work together to transform how the world relates to autism. Thanks for listening. Take care. 
Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, you'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.